Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Podcast Show. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. My name's Steve Mathis. You can uh, get this on pulphockey.com. You can get it on Stitcher. You can get it uh, on iTunes. And, uh, and yeah, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Are you fumbling around with old-school hockey whiteboards that won't erase? Tired of drawing plays over plexiglass? Fret no longer. The solution is here, the writeyboards.com. It's a patented foam technology that makes installation and removing a breeze. You can use the code PULP to save 15%. Coaching is never going to be the same. Check these out. They are the first portable, restickable hockey whiteboard that sticks to virtually any surface. Also, two under. Use the code FERRARO20. Save yourself at two under, the number two UNDR, the best men's underwear out there. A lot of NHL guys are running them. I just sent some to Mike Johnson and Shane Knighty, and they love them. And, uh, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for listening. With me on the line, Stanley Cup winner, uh, member of uh, Philadelphia Flyers, Colorado Avalanche, Edmonton Oilers, the Blues, Minnesota's own Sean Podine. What's up, Sean? How are you? Hey, not much. How's everything going today out there? I'm good, thank you. And it's always nice in Vegas. That's where I am. It's always nice. So, <laughs> well, it's thirty. Uh, what do we got here? Thirty-two and a beautiful snowfall in the middle of uh, March, going on April. But we're pretty happy here in Minnesota with that. Yeah. So you're in Minnesota. You're from. You're born born in Rochester, which um, I, I go there every year. In my real job, I cover motorcycle racing. We race at this town called Millville, just outside oh. of. Outside of Rochester, so I know I know it well. I was born and raised in Rochester and been over to the track there quite a few times. Yeah, yeah, I'm there every year. It's a great track, and me being from Winnipeg, I've been down there a ton. But where are you at now? Are you in the Twin Cities, or are you still down there? Yep, we settled just a few blocks outside of Minneapolis in St. Louis Park, and uh, my wife's family's up here. My dad's still down in Rochester, and uh, we kind of gravitated towards like most Minnesotans do towards the big city of Minneapolis. <laughs> yeah, really, right? Yeah. I say that I say that facetiously. Yeah, you know, it's a good city. It's a really I was just talking to Brunette, Andrew Brunette. I did one of these with him. He loves it. He he's he he's going to settle there I think when he's done. He's obviously assistant coach with the Wild and um it's like a nice it's a little big city, I guess. And I I've been there a ton, so I like it. I mean, how can you not like huge mosquitoes, sweltering humidity, <laughs> and freezing cold winters? I mean, I come on. Hey, that just sounds like Winnipeg, where I'm from. It's actually exactly <laughs> like Winnipeg. Um, and everyone says, but those that window of like three weeks, that's just a beautiful, most beautiful three-week window that there ever three is. Weeks, three weeks may be a stretch, but I'll, I'll agree with it. Right, right. Uh, hey, um, what are you doing now? What's going on with you uh, these days? You know what? I settled back here. I'm chasing my kids here and there. I got a 13-year-old daughter and a 9-year-old boy. Um, I'm coaching both of those kids hockey. And as you know, hockey can kind of be a year-round thing these days, along with a few other sports. And honestly, doing a lot of that, I do some part-time work with a, an agency called Octagon Hockey Agency. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, working with young kids, making decisions on the way up the ladder, trying to be a professional athlete one day. And uh, we have our Children's Foundation still kicking. And besides that, um, a whole lot of call my, myself the busiest guy without a real job. So <laughs> that's all right. 
Yeah, that's all right. I didn't know you were doing work with Octonauts. So that's Alan Walsh and Mike Liu, right? Oh, hey, good job. Yeah, I, I work out of Minneapolis with a few guys here: Johnny Ballin, Ben Hankinson, Chris McAlpine, and my direct boss would be Mike Liu. So, oh, okay, uh, we all kind of work. We kind of work together as a group. And um, yeah, I really like the group. Great bunch of guys, and it's kind of something I can do when when it fits in with the family stuff. So it's been uh, it's been a really great uh, opportunity. So you're just mostly looking for younger kids, scouting a little bit, doing that doing that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I got to be honest. I call myself the laziest man in the advisory <laughs> business. I'm doing a ton of scouting, but uh, trying to help the kids that I run across the path here every now and then. Yeah, yeah. Um, I gotta get. I'd like to get Liute on one of these things. He was like my favorite goalie growing up, but. Uh... He'd be perfect. He'd be, awesome. Yeah, he'd be good. He he was he had a nice career in the league, no doubt. Um, yeah. So uh, uh, hey, and I just saw you play the alumni game. Now, is this okay? So you won the cup with the Avalanche. Uh, you start, you really made your name with the Flyers, but you won the cup with the Avalanche, and you and the Red Wings had some incredible series. When you play those old players on in an alumni game like that, do you still want to just stick them? Do you want to cross check the shit out of them? <laughs> I got a great story about that one. So let's just say I'm less than uh, maneuverable at 48. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and as the, I played in the alumni game in Philly a couple of years ago, and it's a lot of older, older guys, old timers. So it's you know, states mm-hmm. quite a bit slower. And all of a sudden, I came up for this one. They got some young guys on both teams, and they're still, they still skate and they work hard. And all of a sudden, I lined up <laughs> next to Chris Draper at the beginning of the. Uh, Third period, and mm-hmm. I, I and the game was starting to get a little bit more, you know, yeah, yeah. intense. And I look over at him. He looks at me. I said, "Chris, I can't touch my toes. Don't touch me, please." <laughs> <laughs> so my willingness to engage in uh, trying to stick someone yeah. or play competitively was lost quite a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I really hate Cicerelli, and I'd love to go over there and two hand him, but I just—it <laughs> seems like a lot of work right now. <laughs> okay. Come on, Dino. He, was, he made his mark in Minnesota. You can't forget that. No, that's true. You're right. Yeah, no, he did. Um, was it fun? Did you enjoy it? I loved it. Yeah, I, I had seen some guys that I hadn't seen in 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I caught up with them and just got to spend time, catch up on families and uh, what we're all doing. Got to get back to Denver, which is always uh, always fun for me to have my uh, niece come out and watch me play. And, you know, it was just a blast. I was very blessed and uh, lucky to get invited to something like that, and I really appreciated it and and just loved every minute of it. Who's the guy? Because there's always these things in alumni games. Like, I watched one a little while ago, and, like, Russ Courtnell, he still flew. Like, you're like, he looks like he could play right now. Um, Who was the guy that, like, surprised you that still really had it, still was, you know, fast and good shot and and everything? Was there a guy that caught your eye that you were like, oh, wow? Well, the only, it didn't surprise me, but, I mean, Nicholas Lidstrom. He's yeah, sick. Yeah. I mean, he's as smooth as he ever was, and we were joking around the bench. He's going to be the only guy to play in the alumni game, get signed, and now play tomorrow <laughs> in the real game for the yeah, Red Wings. I know, right? Yeah, I mean, God, he won a Norris a uh, couple years only when he was like 38, 37, 38 years old or something, you know, whatever he was. So I've never – he's so smooth and so good. He's just a – he's one of those very elite, elite special players. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, look, you know what? I didn't get a chance to catch. I try to DVR all the alumni games. I'm, I'm gone on the weekends usually when they're on, but I didn't get to catch that one. I searched for it on YouTube a little bit, but I, I really want to see it because I, I love seeing all the old guys out there again. And, and, you know, it gets into be a bit of a game, doesn't it? Like you said, by the third period, guys are starting to, to ramp it up a bit. 
Let's just say I was asking my coach to bench me. <laughs> <laughs> Please. I'm and done. he wouldn't do it. I was right. like, come on, man. I'm, right. I'm killing our team here. They don't want to watch me. <laughs> no one came here to, to watch Sean Bodine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, hey, I was following your Twitter, uh, and you, you were hashtagging, I love Neil Broughton. Now, obviously, obviously <laughs> Neil Broughton, Minnesota you know, legend, North Star. Um, what was that all about, though? What was going on? You know, Neil's a very, um, again, him and Sally are very good friends of ours. And he's, and he's, he's another guy who doesn't like to be uh, in, in, the, in the spotlight. He'd rather much be behind the camera in the shadows. So I told Sally right away, I said, I'm going up to Rosal, guaranteed. I love Neil Broughton's all over my Twitter thing. <laughs> and so I went up there. We actually took our girls team to the house he grew up in, went and visited his mom, sat down, uh, talked for a while. It was awesome. So he hated it. He, he, well, he's not on Twitter oh, yeah. probably, right? But you told him about it, I'm sure. Sally didn't. He, he sends me a text. He's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was well, I was reading it, and I'm like, I, what's going on here? What, what's happening with Neil, Neil Broughton <laughs> and Sean Podine? So I couldn't like, quite oh. figure it out. Now, well, I, 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 I told Sally before, I always want to do a follow Neil Broughton day where I, she lets me in the house early, and I slide in, like they sleep on the floor next to him. And yeah, then yeah. everything he does all day, I send out on Twitter. Now, Neil just got mad at me. <laughs> yeah, Neil just passed me the, the ketchup. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. growing up in Minnesota, like, were you was it was that your idol? Because he is older than you. Was that a guy you looked up to? No, you know, um, what happened was just later in our careers, he was uh, he was nice enough him and his wife to come down to our charity event uh, one year. Okay, and we just we just got to know each other, and we started crossing paths, doing different charity events for the NHL alumni back here in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and uh, and he supported our event every year, and just. We just got to know him, and they're just such special people. And I mean, of course, on the ice, he's a special player. But even above, even beyond that, he's a they're better people. He's a better person than he is a player. And those are the kind of guys that oh, that's cool. You know, as yeah, you go yeah. through life, you try to surround yourself with. Right, right. Okay, yeah, no, that's cool. I, I didn't know how that really worked together with you and Neil Broughton, but yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, also, too, I did one of these a little while ago with Don Beaupre, who settled in the in the Twin Cities. Uh, does yep. some things with aircraft stuff, and he he was he played a stellar alumni game, uh, North Stars and uh, Blackhawks. There, he, he was good. Yeah, he he's still in shape. I see I see him every once in a while, and he's he's also helped out with one of the uh, predominant uh, high schools around here for the last five six years, and done a great job with the goalies there. So I mean, he's still moving, still kicking, still looks yeah. like he, he's, he might be another one with a comeback trail in mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, right? Um, hey, uh, so let's talk a little bit about your career. Let's go back in time a little bit. Um, so drafted by the Oilers, and uh, you played a couple half seasons with them. Um, Sather was a GM, and uh, Ted Green was the coach. And then they let you go. You signed as a free agent with the Flyers. Did you never, like uh, your eighth-round draft pick, 166 overall, were you never really felt like, I guess Edmonton didn't really feel like you could crack the lineup, I guess, right? I mean, what was, what was your memories of them? Well, I remember driving home from San Diego. I picked up a car for a buddy, and this was before cell phones, before Internet and all that, and I stopped and called my dad uh, in Omaha and said, mm-hmm. hey, I'll be home in about six or seven hours. And he's like, uh, he was in the paper. You're supposed to get drafted. I said, well, you know, I've been in the last couple of years. Uh-huh. That was back when we had 12 rounds. And so, you know, everyone got drafted if you could skate up and down the ice. And so I was like, <laughs> uh, probably won't happen. And I got home, my mom woke up, and I was like, She's like, you got drafted. I was like, really? I was like, by who? She's like, uh, let me check. She goes, the Edmonton Oilers. I'm like, no, I'll never play there. I'm small. I'm sluggish. I'm not that good. And um, 
but you know what? I I I, I thank them. The day is long. They gave me my they gave me a shot to play mm-hmm. in the NHL, and they uh, they really gave me uh, a chance to show that you know maybe one day I could stick in there. Teddy Green had a very beautiful quote when I was young. He compared me to a a, a guy named Kelly Buckberger, who oh, was just all right. a constant yeah. teammate and professional. Yeah. And um, then uh, I was very again lucky and blessed that Philadelphia took a chance on me. And um, I got there, and I got a chance to be an everyday player. And uh, you know, thank goodness it worked out for a little while. So your contract was up with Edmonton, I guess, and then they just said, uh, "Yeah, uh, we don't really want you." And then, so <laughs> like, so was there a bit of a bidding war for Sean Podine? Like, did you have some interest from other guys, or why Flyers? Oh yeah, Flyers. <laughs> that was the bidding no, war. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> so this would have been Bobby Clark, I guess, would have said, "Yeah, hey, uh, yeah, we'll sign this kid," I guess. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I had a couple of offers, just a couple of teams, like, back, uh, they still have, you know, two-way deals, we yep. make so much in the NHL, so much in the minors, right, right. and then at the end of the day, um, the Flyers and Mr. Clark stepped up and offered me a, a one-way contract, and it made, I remember, I remember I was on the payphone talking to my agent, he said, they want to offer you a one-way contract, I'd like to go back and try to get more, and I was just kind of <laughs> stunned, I was like, um, okay, yeah. I hung up. I took two steps, walked back, called him. I said, I can't sleep tonight if you turn this down. <laughs> Just take it. And that was it. Yeah. You're like, I think the phone broke up. You said you were going to go for more than a one-way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, uh, actually, and Sean Pronger's got some funny stories about dealing with Pat Morris, was his agent, because he represented Chris Pronger. And Sean's got some stories yep. about <laughs> dealing with an agent where he's like, dude, you're my guy. I'll just take whatever. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I, don't, I don't need to negotiate here. But um, oh, no. but okay. So you step in with the Flyers, and I mean, obviously, looking looking back, Edmonton, you know, missed out a little bit because you stepped into a stack lineup. Terry Murray was the coach, and and you played pretty much right away. Like you, did you feel like your game got better, or were you doing? Like, did you get better from when you were in Oilers, or did you feel like you just got a chance? And and then, obviously, as a third liner, penny killer, gritty guy, um, a team saw value in you. Um, you know, when you say, I don't think Edmonton lost out at all because they had a young kid named Kirk Maltby who was stepping in at the same time that mm-hmm. I was. Yep. And, and I mean, he had an you know, incredible career, you know, with Edmonton and Detroit. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so they had, they, they had young players coming up in the pipeline and I was just very fortunate to go to a team that had tons of talent. Yeah. And, you know, they had the big line, the big, the ease big line with LeClaire and Renberg and great defensemen. And they just really needed a couple of, I, I believe Ham and Eggers that could go out there and mm-hmm. play their role, do their job, soak up a little bit of ice time, shut down. And back then we played our defensive line against the other team's offensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if they do that as much anymore. Yeah. But so I got a lot of – and so if we could do our role of just shutting them down and hopefully give our big guys a lot of extra ice time on the ice against their team second mm-hmm. and third, we just, I just felt – I think they felt that was a good mix at the time. So a lot of shifts for you against Mario, Pavanka – these kind of guys. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's hard for me to tell the kids that when I played out in Philadelphia, every shift that Wayne Gretzky got on the ice, I got to jump over the boards and try to stop him. Yeah, I mean, come on, yeah. that's, a, that's, a, that's a dream as a kid, right? You're on there for Wayne Gretzky, and the first time I was on the ice with him, I went over to the photographer. I said, "Okay, during warmups, as I pass him, I'm going to turn my back and make sure you get a, a picture of us together." Stop it! No, you didn't. <laughs> Did you really? Oh yeah, because you know when, when you when you warm up like. They do something down near the goalies. Then between the blue line and the red line, guys yeah. usually just certain yeah. go in a circle, you know, warming right. up. So 
So I told the photographer, as soon as I'd go by Wayne, I'd quit turn backwards. <laughs> we get the Gretzky and Bodie next to each other. Oh, that's funny. That's cool, though. It's good to hear. I mean, yeah, exactly, right? Like, you can't, like it's like freaking Wayne Gretzky. Um, yeah, exactly. That's it right there. Right. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky. Right. Did you, uh, did you ever get under his skin? Did, you ever, did he ever yell at you? Oh no! I never touched him. No. <laughs> well, probably... I played. I played. I played hard against him defensively, but I was just trying to keep him away from the middle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you were. I don't. Were you? Did you ever play center, or were you mostly a winger? Very little bit limited center. I wasn't very mobile, but right, I was right. always just kind of a checking winger. Right. Um, hey, can you believe? Uh, and I don't. Maybe. Maybe you can because you don't agree with me. But I can't believe that Lindros isn't in the Hall of Fame. I don't know where you stand on that, but uh, wow. Oh my goodness! I, I, it's funny. Like I, I don't follow hockey as close as I used to. I mm-hmm. watch highlights of my kids. Right when you said that, I just assumed he already was. No, he's <laughs> not. He's not. And uh, uh, you know, his, his points per game, Hart Trophy winner. Um, obviously, there was some stuff with his parents and things about getting drafted. Maybe people are thinking that that is the reason why people are still resented against him. But at at you were you played with him when he was at his peak. He was unstoppable. He was a monster. Scary. Scary. <laughs> it was incredible. I mean, when you bring that up, I mean, I would like to hear what argument it is to keep him out of the Hall of Fame because yeah. he was one of the greatest players. I, I had the uh, luck to sit in the front row seat and watch play for five years. Yeah, I mean, just he was he could shoot, he could skate, and he was he was just huge, right? I mean, just massive. Oh, he killed guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, also, too, the Legion of Doom, like you said, with Renberg and Leclerc. So they're out there cycling and just killing, like just scoring, cycling, wearing teams down, huh? Yeah. I mean, they were just so big, so strong. And back in that era, you know, it wasn't like today where you can't touch anybody. So yeah, yeah. there was one, a lot of one-on-one battles that they won, I mean, you know, 80%, 90% of the time. Right, right. And you're sitting there going, man, I'm glad I don't play against this guy. I was like, I got a great seat here, and I didn't have to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> How was he as a captain? How was he as a guy? Like, obviously, there's controversy around him. Him and Bobby Clark went at it uh, for different reasons, and, and there was some controversies around that era. But how was he as a captain and as a guy and everything else? Great great guy. Worked hard. He, I mean, showed up every night, showed up every practice. I just always felt uh, Eric always had was underneath the limelight everything he did. Right. And every time something, whether it be off the ice or on the ice, that went a little bit askew, it not only got uh, reported, but it got built up pretty big, too. And it just seemed like it happened quite a few times with Eric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe if it was you, nobody really reports it and it doesn't make the French page of hockey news and everything, right? Exactly. Um, what do you think he was best at? What, do you, what, 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 what amazed you the most about him as a player? His determination and attitude on the ice that he was not going to be stopped. I mean, he just... He, he would, I, I don't even want to say will, because he was so big and strong and talented and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but if it was going to get done, he was going to get it done. And I just, when he would go on the ice, you knew if Big E had, had a, a, a mission in mind or a goal that mm-hmm. he wanted to achieve, you knew it was going to get done. Um, and then who did you play with mostly in your time there, those f- um, first three, four, two, three Joel years? Otto, Joel Otto and Trent Clad I played for oh, with yeah. for a while. Craig McTavish, my old roommate from Edmonton, who uh, I played with for a little while. No bucket and either. No bucket for McTavish still back no. then. <laughs> I had the greatest commercial. When ESPN started coming out with commercials, uh-huh. I, was gonna, I, I told Mac T, I said, we've got to do this. <laughs> they, were in, they were in doing something with Eric and John. I said, 
we sit next to each other and we tie our laces. And you look at me and you say, you know what, Pods? 14 years and I never wore a helmet. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be like, okay, Mac. And right. then you go back to tie your skates and you, you look, look at me again and go, you know what, Pods? 14 years, never worn a helmet. <laughs> I thought that one would kill. Yeah, that was good. That's one of those, this is Sports Center commercials, right? Yeah, the, yeah. like right when they first started right. coming out. Remember that? Yeah, those were great. Those were great. Um, <laughs> yeah, Butchie Gross, John Butchie Gross at ESPN, like I told you before I hit record, like I feel like I know you a little bit because he's always kept you in the limelight, always talked about you, uh, wrote his columns about you. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you, I don't know how you met Butchie Gross or how that happened, but you guys are, you guys are bros. We actually, and of course, I followed John for quite a long time, but we met at Ray Ferraro's bachelor party down in Chicago. Oh. Him, myself, Eddie Olchek, and Raymond. And we went to a Cubs game and uh, ended up, you know, down uh, out out in the city enjoying each other's company with some friends. And by 4 a.m., I, I knew I had a, a new uh, BFF. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are the ESPN two days. And uh, and Chicken Parm was good. He was really good. He's, oh, he's good yeah. now, you know, but – um, yep. um, I don't know how much you get to see him, but he's mostly just in Canada. But uh, he's great. He calls the games and uh, he, you know, analyzes things. He's not scared to say things. He's, it's awesome. And then uh, of course, Butchie Goss, he's probably the only guy at ESPN waving the hockey flag week in and week out. Oh my out. goodness! <laughs> you talk. I mean, you talk about a Hall of Famer. There is a guy who better be in the Hall of Fame one day for what he does for our sport. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He's got a lot of uh, off uh, air stuff too, right? That he helps out with. That he clinics and yeah. things like that. Um. So much. So you guys go to the finals. I gotta say, you played the Detroit Red Wings in the finals in '97 with the Flyers, and um, I'm really—they they won in four straight. And I remember as a fan watching it, I was surprised. I thought you guys—I thought it would be a tougher series. Um, what's your memory of that, and why do you think that the Red Wings, uh, you know, kind of rolled over you guys a little bit? What what happened? I remember very well. I remember watching. I think it was Game Five, Colorado and. In Detroit, mm-hmm. I, I might have my games wrong. Yeah, it was tied two-two. The Red Wings are all over the Avalanche, mm-hmm. and I'm like, and Patty Waz playing unbelievable. And I said, you know what, the Avalanche, we got to win this game. If they lose this game, they're going to lose the series, and we don't have what it takes to beat this team. Oh, you, oh, you oh, knew and, <laughs> really? Yeah, you kind of knew that, well, right? Yeah, in, in my head, and, right. and then Detroit won the game, and then won the next game. Mm-hmm. As soon as they won, I think it was game six, I went out on the on the porch, and I'm kind of an emotional guy anyway, and <laughs> I started crying, and my wife comes out, she goes, what's wrong, what's wrong? I said, I said, we can't beat them. No way, really? I said, they're too good. We That pass, that year, our pass to the finals, we we played, I think it was Buffalo and Hashik was injured, we played the Rangers after they were beat up against playing a tough New Jersey team. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played, I think it was Pittsburgh, when Mario was like, couldn't even bend over, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we, not that we didn't earn our spot to be there, but our path wasn't the hardest path. And I just, I knew, I watched their team, I knew what their team had, and I knew they were the complete package. And I just thought, oh, all right, we got, we get ready, let's get ready. So when the results came like they did, at the end of the day, I wasn't surprised just because of the product they had on the ice yeah. at that time. They were just the big red machine, and they were moving. Interesting, yeah, because I remember as a fan thinking, ah, oh, this is going to be a good series. Like, I think, I, yeah. I, you know, like Detroit's – Detroit at that point hadn't won anything forever. They had choked a couple times. So people weren't uh, necessarily all about Detroit like they were. You know, they kind of kick-started their run with, with the win over you guys. But So it was like one of those things like, is Detroit going to be able to do it? Are they going to collapse again? Philly's looking good, you know. So I yeah. was I was but, as surprised as anybody that it went as easy as it did for Detroit. But I guess not you. 
<laughs> but, I, but, but I also know when you say that, when you say it like that, they had, they had already been there and had their failures. Yep. And we had not been to that finals yet and had that failure yet. And I think that actually in the long run, as you know, you got to fail to succeed to move forward. And I think yeah. that's what actually helped them in that series. Yeah. Yeah. History's full of cup winners that uh, kind of threw it away the year or two before. You know, they're abs- yep. you're absolutely right about that. Um, so your trade to Avalanche, uh, you got traded um, for Keith Jones, who's uh, still on TV every, 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 uh, yep. and you probably wave your cup ring in Keith's face whenever you see him. No, that, no, that's no, what no, I would no. do. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Did you know it was coming? How did when did you get traded? What happened? It was early into the season. Um, what uh, what sort of went down? Well, it was I think it was I'll say thirteen games in. I can't remember exactly, but we were we weren't doing well. Mm-hmm. And, you could feel the tension mounting, and you knew there needed to be a trade, and we weren't scoring goals. We needed a goal scorer, and something had to happen. So when it happened, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised whether it would be me or someone else. I wasn't playing well. I was mm-hmm. playing very average at the time, and it just happened where it was me, and I remember Mr. Clark called me in, and nice enough to talk to me about it before he pulled the trigger, and I never wanted to leave. I loved Philly. It was yeah. with all my heart. It was it was an amazing opportunity for me and then we end up going out to denver and and that's why you never look a gift horse in the mouth sometimes because <laughs> end up working out you know kind of nice for me and my family well and then like well actually let's rewind a little bit did you when bobby and, and eric were fighting and all that did you guys kind of know that did you stay out of it was things were things tense at times in, in the dressing room and, and with management and, and eric and the family and everything else did any of that stuff ever seep into sort of the, the dressing room not really the dressing room because we were all together and we were all we all had the same goal in mind, you know, mm-hmm. to win, win games, play together, be a team, all that stuff. So the stuff that was outside of that, that wasn't really our our business. That wasn't really ours to worry about. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when a team's going through a sale and they ask the players, "What do you think about the sale?" Well, the players aren't really affected by the sale. They're not in the middle of the negotiations or sure. the turmoil or whatever's going on. So whatever was going on behind scenes, with whether it be Eric's parents or the the or Mr. Clark or or what anything like that. It wasn't really something that occupied or consumed any of the time of the players or the team. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Pulp Hockey Podcast Show. Having a good time doing it, and uh, thanks to our guys for coming on board over at Righty Board. Righty Board's power play whiteboard is hockey's first restickable portable hockey whiteboard that goes wherever you go. Whether it's needed at one end of the rink or one end of the country, the power play board sticks to any surface your team needs it. Vivid graphics and a white background on the front, removable Long-lasting, air-free adhesive on the back. Visualization is now your ultimate weapon. It's the most versatile, practical, and simple-to-use whiteboard in the world. Every ring, every team, every coach needs to get a few of these power play whiteboards and check them out. Use the code PULP at writeyboards.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y, boards.com, to get 15% off your power play board. All right, back to the show. Going to Colorado, too, and you're stepping into another all-star lineup. Sackick, Forsberg, Theo Fleury got traded that first year there. Alex Tangay, Drury, Foot, Rob Blake later. Of course, Bork came in for the stretch drive the next year. Uh, again, much like Philadelphia, you had a great seat to really some legends of the game, huh? Yeah, I mean, that was, again, very fortunate to walk into a locker room like that and be able to just take on a role and do your role and know, and know your role, most importantly. Mm-hmm. And and to be around those guys was just a blessing and you know, I think one of my favorite quotes was I, was sitting, I sat between Peter and Joseph, 
and the reporter came up. He said, "Well, have you learned it? Have you learned anything sitting between um, Joe and Peter?" I said, "Oh, definitely. I learned I don't make nearly as much as they do." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, right? You know what, though? In a way, like they say, every good team, a guy knows his role, his role, and he knows what to do. And so, like, like again, like you said, that like, you know, you're you're a grinder, penalty killer, uh, a guy can chip in the odd goal here and there. But it also helps to know, like, look, the team isn't looking for me to score thirty or forty. They, that's those guys. That's what they do. I have to stop the the number one line, and a nice role like that really helps a guy out, doesn't it? It, it really it, it really simplifies, especially for people like myself. You know, I'm not you know sending any rockets into space any day soon. So <laughs> this is I believe in a simple life, and you know yeah. when you go to a team like that and you have a very definite role, mm-hmm. they expect you to do exactly this. It just ma- it makes the game easier. Yeah, at least it did for me. Yeah, you're like, hey, I got one job to do. I'm going to shut down that guy. I'm going to kill the penalties, and I'm good. And then, you know, that's a – yeah, keep it simple, stupid, right? I mean – Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just helps, you know. Instead of like, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to score and you're wondering, what, what about my defensive game and everything else? Um, the the trade for Bork, uh, he got traded at the deadline from Boston, of course, Colorado. You guys didn't make it to the finals that year. Um, when you got together that next year, did you have an idea? Like, there's this myth in the media, and maybe it is a myth or maybe it's true that – you guys were all like, "We're going to do this for Ray." I mean, was there was there a sense of that? <laughs> there, there was a bit of a sense of that. I, and again, I got a, one of my funniest stories is after uh, we had success, they interviewed Chris Drury, and Chris was like, "I really wanted to do it for Ray." You know, I really wanted to see him raise it in this. And then they interviewed me next. I said, "Hey, I wanted to lift it for me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. Right? I mean, Mister like, yeah. Mr. B is a great friend of mine, and. Of course, we all wanted it for Ray. Twenty-two years, constant professional. I mean, I mean, I mean, the best, one of the best of the best. But at the time when you're going through it, you really want to win it together. And literally, we all wanted to win it for each other mm-hmm. as much as as much as Raymond and everybody else. Some intense series with Detroit, like we talked about beginning with that alumni game. Like, how bad did it get? Did you guys ever meet at a bar afterwards and see some Red Wing players and want to kick the shit out of them? Like, how bad did it get? Like, it was so – I don't know if hockey's ever going to see that again. It was incredible. Yeah, I got here the year after the big brawl. But mm-hmm. the, the thing I remember most about it, and someone asked me about this when I was out in Denver, is I just remember in the games when we'd play against them, no, not only did nobody want to lose, it brought out the best in every single player. Sure. Those games, they were special games, no matter what time of season, playoffs, Anything like that, and it just there was just no love lost, and uh, you you know you see the guys outside of the game, and you know at the same time you're a professional, and the game's over, the game's over, and mm-hmm. yeah, but for the most part you just you want to compete your hardest when you're on the ice, and that's what I saw between those two clubs. Yeah, it seemed like there was some real hate there, a real competitiveness, I guess, is like you said, like it, which you don't normally see now so much. Rivalries are are pumped up by the league, but they're very yeah. rarely like are, the pumped up ones aren't real rivalries. It's things like like playoff series year in and year out, like you guys had with the Red Wings? Well, I think every year, and I mean, I think it's a good thing, but you see the players less and less every year settling the score themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you see fighting on the decline, which is a great thing. Yeah. But back in those days, you had, you had a lineup, you had a team. If you had a, if you had a beef or you had a problem with someone, there was really only one way to solve it. And this was two teams that didn't like each other, not just individuals. So yeah. I think that's what made it special for the fans. And then, uh, of course, like Detroit, uh, Detroit, Dallas, like gnarly teams to get through each and every year. You three guys just battling it out. Yeah, that was it was fun. <laughs> I'll tell you that. 
<laughs> like every all these even regular season games, they were just they must have just been you know like you said you got up a little harder for those right like you got a little more a little more uh, stoked. Very much. Uh, what was Patrick Wall like as a teammate uh, for you? I've heard legendary stories again. I don't know if it's just all in the media or not, but um, of just hating getting sc- scored on in practice and uh, you know yelling at his own players, things like that. How was how was Patrick Wall? He was the. <laughs> I mean, do you? <laughs> I guess I go back to my another one of my favorite examples. Uh-huh. We're having practice. Yeah. Twelve minutes in, I'm I come down on a one on one. I'm on some kind of drill. I make a move and somehow score. Probably the only <laughs> time I scored on him in practice. Right. And, and he looks up at me and he goes, "Big pull." That's the last time someone scores today. And I kind of chuckled. <laughs> yeah, whatever. So I watched him the rest of practice. He didn't give up a goal for 48 minutes. The last whistle went. He went over to the boards, smashed his goalie stick over the boards, left, showered, and left the rink without talking to anybody. Dude, when, when Sean Podine scores on you, that's what happens. <laughs> that's the bottom of the barrel right there. <laughs> you, you just lose it. Uh, no way. That's that's an incredible story. And then, like, yeah, like, <laughs> smashes his stick and showers and takes oh. off. <laughs> he was just, he was so unhappy with himself about his start not being ready that right. he just, that was, he was just, the, he was the greatest competitor I think I've ever played with. I mean, yeah. I mean there's quite a few of them, but I mean, right, he just, right. He would do whatever it took to win, and he just was, you know, and I've had a lot of people come up to me. You know, I've heard about Patrick. I heard he's arrogant. You know, I heard he's cocky, this and that. Yep. And I always say, is it is it arrogance or cockiness when you're arguably one of the best goaltenders in the history of the game <laughs> and you're, right. you're confident you are? I, I call that a lot of confidence. Yeah. No, absolutely. You're right. You know, and he's got the stats to back it up, like you said. Yes. Um. So uh, I did one of these with Brunette, like I said a little while ago, and he couldn't say enough things about Joe Sackick as a leader, as a guy that's perhaps he's in the Hall of Fame. He is in the Hall of Fame, but maybe it's possible he's underrated. He's that he was that good. You know what? Uh, Bruno's right on. I I was lucky enough to get to drive to the rink with Joseph for two or three years. We were neighbors, and mm-hmm. you know, as 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 great of a player as he was, and he will be underrated. He was that great, silent great. Yeah. You never heard him yeah. loud mouth. You never heard him saying, "We're bringing this home." You never heard him. You know, mm-hmm. he was very humble. But as great as he was as a player, he was ten times the father and husband, and that's what I actually remember about Joseph more than anything, and what I respected about him the most. And it actually carried over into his game, into his mm-hmm. life. Humble, appreciative, giving, uh, caring. I mean, he just—he was all those things wrapped into one. And I couldn't agree with Andrew more. He will be as much as as great as people will say he is or was. He'll still be underrated, I believe. How about him and Wall running the Avalanche right now? <laughs> that's, that's I love like, it, right? Like I love it. It's funny. It, it makes me feel old too. I'm 41, and it makes me feel old that <laughs> like okay, Joe Sackick and Patrick Wall are actually just running the Avalanche now. Yeah, I don't get it. The good news for you, well, though, you, you can get tickets yeah. anytime, right? You can get good yeah. tickets. <laughs> well, I just laugh now. The guys that I played with now are starting to become general managers and I know. presidents. And like, aren't those big boy jobs? I know. Like, <laughs> like you're like, wait a minute, we're all growing up. We're our goofballs. We're, we're all growing up. Like Hextall, too, your former teammate, G- yep. GM, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when are, you getting, when are you calling these guys for some favors to get some, some prime uh, front office jobs? <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty comfortable in Minnesota for now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so you win the cup. Um, what's that like? Obviously, I know you've been asked that a hundred times, and and I apologize for for asking you for 101. But that mm-hmm. must just be 
again, I just played scrub hockey growing up. Uh, you know, I never played any, got to any sort of level. I love the game, but I can imagine like, like Ray holding it, for example, that's image that we see all the time. And he, he's a completely gray beard and he's 40 years old and he looks like he's just going to start crying or maybe he did, which is so awesome to see. What was it like for you? You know what, for me, it was uh, the moment that it, it ended and uh, the, the soon meanwhile after, for me, it was more of a reflection of those that gave their time, energies to help me try to achieve my goals of being mm-hmm. you know, a hockey player, reaching the highest level I can, maybe one day getting to raise that thing. And so as great as it was and what a special moment was, it was more of a reflection of all these people that gave up time and energies for me to chase this moment. Right. And for me, that was more than anything. That that's what meant a lot to me. Oh, that's cool. Was it lighter or heavier than you remember? Oh boy, when you lift it, it feels like about point five ounces. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, right? Well, um, that was not a problem. How pissed were you that Sackick didn't hand it to you first? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> You're like, what up, Joe? I'm not. I still haven't let that go yet. Right. Yeah. Super bitter <laughs> that Ray Ray got it first. <laughs> um, there's this story that Butcher Gross told about you never taking your gear off. Um, is that true? It's it's true. So by the time I was, you know, we were just celebrating the locker room, doing everything, interviews, all that stuff. All of a sudden, everyone's all undressed, and I had my stuff on still. And the wife says. Where to, where to the restaurant? Where's the restaurant? Uh-huh. Yeah, you won't do it. I said, oh, so I wore it to the restaurant. And yeah. Then I, then I walked in, and one guy came up. He goes, Barry, Barry. Barry Melrose is there. He goes, you got to look at Pods. And he turns around, <laughs> he sees me. He goes, that's nothing. When we won in Adirondack, I had a guy wear his equipment for 24 hours. And all of a sudden, it was like, you know, the light bulb went off, <laughs> right, the right. triple dog dare, stick your, stick your tongue on the frozen pole outside. So I was like, okay, I'm wearing this stuff for 25 hours. So, I remember me and my wife laid down at 6 in the morning. Oh, jeez. She laid down, yeah. and she looks at me, and we're laying in bed, and she's on the boat as far away from me as she can get. Oh, I bet. And she's like, just take it off. I said, honey, trust me. Of anything I ever do, and I'm not going to do much in this league, people will remember this more than anything else. <laughs> it's kind of been that way. <laughs> so, yeah, the whole next day, the next night, until whatever. Yeah, till 9 yep. o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night, you wore the gear. Yeah. It oh was, my god! It was it was disgusting. Actually, oh, I, like I had like last, I had lacerations that were turning green. I stunk. Uh, <laughs> it was just brutal. I bet. Uh, I didn't know oh. if that was a true story, but I figured it was. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, that is what uh, you got traded to St. Louis the next year for Mike Keen, uh, yep. which actually is kind of funny because when I think of Sean Ponine, I think sort of Mike Keen, maybe a little younger at the time. I don't know. Maybe you're not. Maybe the same age, but. Um, no, I don't think you would be. Um, you know, you're a lot, lot like Mike Keen as a player. Um, did you were you shocked to go, or what? Uh, what was the deal with that? No, not really. We, no. Were, we were we were having again some struggles at the time. And right. They they called me in before the game, and when they called me in, I was like, ah, well. I mean, <laughs> you know, I I'd been through it before. The first the first time was kind of done, and right. You kind of knew the procedure, and I was very grateful that the Avalanche gave me the shot that they did, and mm-hmm. they were just making a move trying to bolster the lineup and. It, so it didn't really shock me. Again, at, at the time, I knew someone was going to go. I had a, I was just coming off a bad knee, and okay. I wasn't really contributing. I think I made I had a point that you know, there's just one of those where the yeah, kind of yeah. lined up where it was the right time. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it's it's funny you say that about Mike though, is because my whole career, and I never told Mike this, uh, my goal was to be a B grade Mike Keen. 
<laughs> not 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 an A grade, just a B grade. No, no, not an A grade. I thought Mike was an unbelievable right. player. Right. You know, captain of the Canadians. He was, yeah. yeah. Got a got a couple Stanley Cups, played for thirty nine years. He did. I he said did. If, if I can be a B grade of this guy, that's yeah. not a bad career, right? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I I've watched a lot of your career, um, you know, throughout the years and yeah, to me, like you're you're a little bit like Mike Keene. So congratulations. In my eyes, you you made it. You did your career. A B grade, Mike grade, <laughs> Mike Keene. And Keene was playing for the <clears throat> Manitoba Moose. Yeah, I think he was yeah. 45 years old. And at the end, there, uh, he was. Yeah, he loved it. Could, I, I think he signed. I think he signed for one more year with the Charlestown Chiefs in the Federal League. I'm not sure <laughs> yeah, that exactly. though. You got to check on that. I'll check the stats. Uh, you good go to Winnipeg boy though. Good Winnipeg yeah, boy. Yeah, no, he's he's in management now. There, he's doing. Yes. Uh, I don't know. He's not assistant GM, but he's doing something with with the with the yeah. Jets. So, um, and then uh, so St. Louis Blues again, pretty stacked team. Uh, Quint, um, you know, good good team. Kachuk, Demetra, Quenville was the coach, so now you can relate to uh, to him a little bit. Um, what do you think of your time in St. Louis? Again, uh, I loved it. I, I was blessed everywhere I went, and there mm-hmm. I got to go there and play some great players. Uh, Mike Eastwood and Dallas Drake and I got to play together right away when I got there and we had had some success and I just love the organization top-notch organization great city in the Midwest uh, we, we, you know we started having our first child the second year so it was a nice first uh, kind of transition into family life and mm-hmm. it was just it was just awesome you were uh Dallas Drake could skate he could fly oh boy right he was a great player yeah, he could fly. Um, and so your contract was up. You spent a year in Sweden. How was that? I've been to Finland a little bit here and there. Um, how was the Division Division One Sweden? You know, I got to be honest. When I got done in the NHL, I was I was just tired. I was done. Yeah. And I didn't plan on going to play. And then uh, a friend of mine had a friend over there who called me and said, "Hey, would you want to come over and play?" And I had a couple chances mm-hmm. going to like the elite league, and I didn't want to go. They wanted you there the whole time, and it's very competitive. He said, no, just come to the – it was B-League at the time called All Svenskin. Mm-hmm. He said, come over late, come over in mid-October, stay for uh, six weeks. We get a three-week break, come back for six weeks, and that's the season. And I was like, you know what, that sounds kind of fun. <laughs> that I said, sounds all right. And I, and, I was, and I was just honest with him. I said, you know, first and foremost, I want to come over and see the area, spend time with my family. I'll try really hard at hockey, but I'm at the end of my career. He said, no, no, Sean, we'll be great. Yep. We'd love to have you. So I did that for a year. Became best friends with the president of the club. Oh, cool! All of a sudden, we were like, "Okay, let's go do it one more time." <laughs> our, kid, uh, Anna, our girl Anna Lee wasn't in school yet, uh-huh. so we did it one more time. Then I was going to retire again, and then a friend of mine from Japan called and said, "Okay, come over to Japan." I was like, <laughs> "Okay, I've always wanted to go over there." So we went over there for a year, and then uh, our little girl started school, and then we just put down roots back home. It's funny though; like, I don't understand it as a fan. Like, you said you were just tired of playing. So you probably could have got an NHL deal. You figure uh, at the end of after. No, Sanders. no, no, no. I could not have got an NHL deal. I was <laughs> okay. the game had passed me by. You know, you got the Batsus coming in the league. Yeah, yeah. And could it could have I could have maybe gone and played the minors, but I my yeah. my heart just was not in it to to fight to, to keep doing it anymore. Um, yeah, I did one of these with Pat Elinuk, who was uh, in the mid '80s and played for the Jets and a bunch of teams. And he mm-hmm. said he had some offers, and he was just done with the game. He's like, I was tired. I was tired of. Moving, I was tired of the grind. I just didn't want to play anymore. And as a fan, it kind of sits me like I'm like, huh, really? Okay, all right. But you never know. Like, yeah. you know, you devote your whole life to it, and you know, eventually, you just get tired of it. It's just that's it. 
I think it's kind of like any job. I mean, I mean, I, I always say, say I was blessed enough to play until I didn't want to play anymore. Yeah, I have so many. I have so many friends who are kind of forced out of the game. Right, and they're not ready, and they kind of have regrets, or they just wish they could have done more. Yeah, I'm just very or, lucky where I. Or it ends I didn't up. Uh, have that feeling. Or it ends up being rocky off the ice for him when you're not quite ready to let it go. Right. Like. Right. Um. Um. Oh, I know what I was going to say. You're one game short of 700. Is there any way you can come back? <laughs> I mean, and Joel, Quen, Joel Quenville benched me in their last regular season game. No, he did? Ah, <laughs> oh, cute. Well, no, no he, sat, he sat out the old-timers, me, Scott Mellenby, and Al yeah. McGinnis, and I still laugh about it. He comes up to me after the game, and he's like, Pose, why didn't you come in your 700th game? I said, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> like, it's, not, it's not like the the trophy parade and the, the balloon police come out, you know? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. There's, there's no like, oh, he made it to 700. You know, there's really none of that. Nobody really notices. But still, 699 on your record. So, um, yep. <laughs> one of those things. Hey, uh, you weren't a huge fighter, but do you know who you fought the most in your career? I looked it up on HockeyFights.com. Oh boy, I'm afraid you're, to ask. You're never gonna guess. Got... You're never gonna guess. I, I, I can't. I wouldn't be able to. Vladimir Malakoff. You fought him twice. Oh boy, <laughs> he was <laughs> twice. <laughs> that was your highest fight it. total. Everyone else was once. Yeah. Buka Boom, Ewan Gratton, Garen Halik. One fight. <laughs> Iggy. You fought Iggy. It says at some point. So. He gave me a big gash over my eye. I remember it. Okay. <laughs> so there was a winner and a loser for that one. Uh, oh, there were a lot of winners in my fights. I just didn't happen to be one of them. I didn't know. So you had something against Russians because you and Malikov just dropped it twice. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, hey, what, uh, what was your best goal you scored? Is it one that stands out uh, in your memories of an, either an important one or one where you, the ghost of uh, Gretzky got into you? or Was there anyone that stands out uh, for you? I would, you know, it, just because the, the kids I coach back here now, they always bring up this one goal I scored in Philly where uh, I tripped over, who was it, was it Jamie Storr was playing goalie for L.A., and I was mm-hmm. on my side in the corner, and I hit it and, like, was doing a 360 and it somehow went in or something. <laughs> and, is, this, uh, is this on YouTube? So that, i got to check, check it out. It, yeah, the kids keep bringing that one up. And then, <laughs> okay, a, a funny thing about that one is they used to have this thing called MasterCard Play, Play of the Year. Yeah. Uh, and, and they still have it. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. They, oh, yeah. They might still have it. So I ended up winning the MasterCard Player of the Year. This is back like in '98 or something. Oh, nice. And they get, and they give you this big, heavy trophy. Like it literally weighs like 50 pounds. <laughs> and so my buddy, we were the PR guy, was at um, Philly. He goes to Bob Clark. He goes, Hey, just you know, Sean, you know, he won this Player of the Year. Should we have a little ceremony before the game? <laughs> and Mister Carter's, Nope. <laughs> 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 no, no, oh, no. That was so cute. Yeah. No, no, we're okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's actually a terrible idea. That's this, yeah, mm-hmm. we, we actually don't want that idea at all. Jeez. <laughs> wow, Bobby. Wow. Oh. Hey, he no, he, he was. was he was uh, great, if you look up old school, it might be a picture of Bobby oh, Clark. It might be a photo of yep. Bobby Clark. So oh, I'm near uh, you there. Best uh, best coach you had. You know what? I was blessed to have a lot of great coaches and. The one coach, I'd have to say, I mean, I, I don't even want to narrow it down. Terry Murray gave me my 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 shot in mm-hmm. uh, Philadelphia. You know, I had Quenville in St. Louis, and I had Hartley, and, yeah. and we had uh, Mr. Green up in Edmonton. But the one coach that I go back to when people ask me this is Roger Nielsen. He oh. was the innovator of video. Yeah. He was a teacher. He never raised his voice. You kind of, you kind of, you know. Danced to the own beat of his drum. He did his own thing. Yeah. 
and he was just such a, uh, a a dear, dear person. And so I remember when I had him and Craig Ramsey out in Philly, and mm-hmm. this, it was all about the learning aspect, not about the degrading or not about the Yelling humiliating or right. any of that. Yeah, yeah. Huh. It was, and it, he was just, and I mean, his track record speaks for itself, and he's just a right. beautiful person. That's funny. You're the second or third guy that's told me this uh, doing this show. Like, I've ne- obviously never met him. I, I've read a ton about him and uh, and everything else. And, yeah, he seems like a real, like, a unique human being, really. That's a great you know? way to put it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Somebody who didn't just come in and call you all garbage and kick a garbage can and then stole yeah. my, <laughs> my address yeah. here, right? So. Exactly. Ah, interesting. Uh, well, hey, Sean, thank you for uh, for taking the time for us on pulphockey.com. I know Ferraro made you do it, so, um, you know, that'll be – that's you owe him, or he owes you, I guess. You, you will have to ask Ray about the one time I painted my body in blue at a Tampa Bay game and gave him a big hug. It, he was not the happiest person <laughs> as he was working. Right, right. Yeah. No, so he was he was calling the game, and this is what you did. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's old Sean. Old Sean. Uh, <laughs> we keep him away now. He doesn't get out much. Yeah, we keep him away as far as we can. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you for taking the time for us. A wonderful career, uh, a Stanley Cup winner. Uh, like I said, and like you said, you seem like you're appreciative of some of the great players that you got to play with as teammates. And then, of course, to have the bond of winning the Cup, that's, uh, that's awesome, man. And, uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time. Well, thanks so much, guys. And best of luck with everything. If you need, any, need anything, just let me know, please. All right. Thanks, Sean. See you, man. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.